This is Increment Vice. The podcast that explores Paul Thomas Anderson's inherent vice, one scene at a time, with your host, Travis Woods. Sort of leash, a noun meaning the practice of foretelling the future from a card or other item drawn at random from a collection. Origins in late Middle English via Old French from the medieval Latin sortilegium, meaning sorcery. Bet you can guess who we're talking about today. Dude, yeah, dude, I've been I've been waiting for this to happen for like a year now. <laughs> I, it's, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's been a long and winding road, but we're here. We made dude, it. I I have to say that when you you told me about this, I, I'm sure if I went into my DMs, I could find it. But you told me about this like I want to say August of last year. Yeah, it was like right, August September. Right after you told me about it, I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna be on this podcast. And I I rewatched the movie to like in preparation and like I think I took notes. I took new notes last night, but I didn't take too many. And then it never happened. <laughs> it, like, it happened. It's just weird. You're part of a you're 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 an episode deep in the schedule, Brianna. You're deep in the schedule. It's okay. I've watched it two more times since then. But so you, I'm you, ready. <laughs> you go back to that DM and it you're gonna see that I said we're gonna do the Sword of Liege episode right before Priscilla Dome. And that's that's down the road a piece. That's down the road. I was just trying to get my ducks in a row. And, uh, you know. I think I just had, like, no concept of time. So, like, <laughs> that's, like, I think a big part of it. <laughs> well, then you, that makes you a great guest for this show. That makes you a great guest for this show. Okay, 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 okay. Wait just a minute. Maybe it's just the edibles, Travis. But aren't you supposed to start the episode now? Some kind of pretentious intro? Dig around that junk drawer of your brain and find something to kick this episode off. Aren't you supposed to be paying attention to narrators this time around? When discussing her role in Inherent Vice as Sword of Liege, the narrator slash Jiminy Cricket slash best buddy slash maybe figment of Doc's imagination, Joanna Newsom had this to say. It's interesting because the framework of the movie is this detective, noir, gumshoe genre, and it's a bit of a bait and switch. I think when we watch stories that are in those genres, there's an expectation we have that we are going to be presented with the elements of the mystery, and then we are going to watch the detective solve that mystery. And this isn't actually that kind of movie. Similarly, when we hear a narrator speaking, we have an expectation that the narrator is going to tell us what's going on in the movie. And again, it's a little bit of an interesting bait and switch because I think for the most part, this narrator sort of just talks about whatever. She kind of serves as the narrative voice of the Pinchon narrator, which moves in and out between giving further explanation and exposition, and then kind of just observing and describing feelings and describing what's going on in Doc's head and advising Doc and making larger proclamations about the period of time and the era and the spirits at work and the vibes at work and so forth. It certainly adds a whole other layer of meaning but I don't think the purpose of this particular narrator is to assist the viewer in solving the mystery. I do think the point of the story 
is not to present a mystery that's meant to be solved necessarily. It's to watch the corona and haze of other storylines sort of form and drift and move around the outline of the mystery. I feel like our attention has been pulled in so many different directions by so many different stories that it's almost like watching the haze and dust settle rather than watching it resolve. So that's Joanna Newsom on Sorlige. And here we are today to talk about the exact same thing. What exactly is the deal with Sorlige and Inherent Vice? Is she real? Is she an imaginary friend? Is she Doc's own mind simply thought out loud? Is she a real person telling us the story after the fact and occasionally inserting herself within it? Or is she all of the above or something else entirely? Does it even matter? Well, here to sort through those questions with me today is the incredibly incisive, extraordinarily funny writer about town for such joints as Screen Queens, Film School Rejects, Little White Lies, Birth Movies Death, Slash Film, Bloody Disgusting, and my very own home place of Bright Wall Dark Room. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Brianna Ziegler. Hello. What an intro that was. <laughs> you, you, sounded, well, you sounded so terrified. Hello. While like I'm were... sitting on my bed surrounded by like my stuffed animals. <laughs> wow, this episode's already taken a turn. Now, let's make it clear. This, this, this might be a rocky road you and I are on tonight. Because in true inherent vice fashion... You've taken something right before the recording began. And so the giggling might exponentially increase by the time we finish this thing. That's right? true. Yeah. That's true. So we need to get all the smart, pretentious stuff out now. We need, yeah. to get the he- we need to get the heavy lifting and the heavy thinking out now. So today's scene is a short one, but it's important or as important as any episode of a podcast about inherent vice can actually be. In that when I pitched this to you nearly a year ago, as you reminded me, <laughs> that you, you've been waiting, you've been waiting with bated breath for a year to come on. I really, uh, when I pitched this to you, I really leaned into this being the all caps sort of liege episode for the entire, the entire series in which the nature of the scene at hand really gives us an opportunity to drill down into the weirdness of this character and and who she is but 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 before we do that i'm gonna do something rare for this show i'm gonna shut up i'm gonna yeah no i'm gonna shut up after i ask you to ask you how did you first come to inherent vice and what did you think the first time you saw it um so the first time i saw inherent vice was on a first date um and i went with this guy and it was like probably like one of the more unpleasant like first movie watching experiences just because like nothing that he did but we were I was sitting there watching the movie and I just like 
not only did I have no idea what the fuck was going on, but I'm like panicking about the fact that after this, I'm going to have to talk to him about it. And he, I just like assumed I'm dumb as I typically do. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, he probably knows exactly what's going on. And like, I'm going to have to tell him after this, like, I didn't know what was going on and he's going to realize I'm a dumbass. And like, so I'm sitting there like confused at the movie, anxious about the after conversation and so the whole thing was like not super pleasant but then we walk out and like the first thing he says to me is did you understand anything that was happening in that and I was like no oh my god and that that was amazing and relieving but um yeah that was my first time seeing it and it wasn't like great like I didn't I didn't dislike it like I feel like I the movie itself I was like okay with but the experience definitely wasn't great and I have exponentially grown in appreciation for it since uh that time and I've seen it probably like four or five times since and each time I like it more and more uh so yeah <laughs> well, well first off first off only uh, four or five more times I'm that's, sorry that's how often I've seen it this week Brianna. okay this week <laughs> but sorry so I, I and I I kind of wish I could have been a fly this sounds really really creepy I kind of wish I could have been a fly on the wall for that first date just to see the growing heart like the the cosmic horror spreading a across your face as you realize you're gonna have to talk to someone about this movie as soon as it's over <sighs> it was really bad but it was so relieving when I don't even think we really talked about it like at all I think we both were just like yeah, we don't know what happened. And then we were like, okay. And then we went out and, ha and had dinner and it was fine. <laughs> I and never saw him again, but <laughs> he was a good first day. I said, no, I turned him down. He asked me to like, oh wait, <laughs> like the day after, sorry, this is totally unrelated. The day after he was like, I have a Regal movie gift card. Do you want to go oh, see more movies? Oh, and I was like, Christ. I took like eight hours to reply to him. And I was like, sorry, man. And you know, right now he's probably like standing on the beach like Doc, holding that Regal, Regal gift card, staring oh. at the sea, waiting for you. And it's going to fade to black with that card just floating away on the waves because you let it go. It's pure it inherent vice right there. Definitely is. Well, <laughs> boy, this is a tangent. So what, what made the film cohere for you? Was it just watching it over and over? Is there something that you latched onto? Yeah. <sighs> Like, well, I think part of it was I tried to read the book. My friend, I did like a, my friends and I did a Secret Santa one year and my friend got me Inherent Vice on DVD and he gave me the book and I was like ecstatic about it because I think at that point I'd seen it twice and by the second watch I definitely appreciated it more. Um, the second watch I watched it with my parents and they like despised it. We couldn't even watch it in one sitting. We had to watch it over like multiple days, I think. And they you couldn't follow it. it with your parents? Yeah, no, I know. It was a bad fucking decision. God, especially the scene with fucking, um, I actually watched it over the course of two days before um, <laughs> this podcast, but um, I watched the scene today and I do not like this scene, but it's the scene where um, Sortilage comes to visit Doc and they have sex and she's god when she gets on that couch and it's like squeaking and like creaking oh my god dude i can't fucking stand it 
And that scene with my parents was just brutal. But <laughs> it seems like a real white knuckle ride. Like God. The creaking, the squeaking, and then looking over and mom and dad are just, you know. Yeah. Horrible, horrible experience. But it did by that point, I feel like their hatred of it <laughs> kind of like the, I don't know. I I while they were hating it, I was like learning to like love it more. Um, but so so my friend got me the book and the DVD, and so I started trying to read it, and I I bailed like I don't know a few chapters in. I just it's like written really well, but like I don't know in book form it wasn't working for me. It's that's just, <laughs> I think that's a pretty good description, honestly. I, yeah. I I love them, but I think that that's actually a pretty good description of Thomas Pinchon's books for a lot of people. <laughs> in book form, they don't work for me. Yeah, like he, it's. It he's was a dense. Just, he's a dense. He's a dense. He's a dense read. Yeah, I I'd never read anything of his before, and um, yeah, it's like I started reading it, and I was like, "Wow, this is so poetic." I mean, a lot of what Sortilage says, and a lot of the dialogue is like in there, and and it's really beautiful. But at the same time, it just feels like it felt like I was just reading a lot of beautiful sentences that like just didn't like mean anything and so in book form it didn't work but then after I gave up on that I watched the movie again and it just definitely gelled better um, I realized how much for me it gelled better as uh, on a visual medium than it did in a narrative and um and and eventually it's you know like with especially the most recent watch that I did the other night it's like each each watch is like I, it, 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 the narrative becomes clearer to me, but it becomes clear to me that that doesn't matter. Yeah, I think <laughs> you, you, you are a big proponent of uh, the galaxy brain thought that when you finally let go of... Now, see, here's the thing. I, I actually, I dig the plot. I get the plot. Yeah. And I, I, and I enjoy it. But I also believe that this is a movie with which you can totally abandon the plot and absolutely still adore it and love it. Oh, and yeah. I think that you're a big proponent of just the, the, that freeing feeling of letting go of trying to understand Inherent Vice actually kind of opens Inherent Vice for you. Yeah, and I mean, ironically though, each time I watch it, I, like this most recent time, I could basically like understand everything that was happening. I understood who each person was to each convoluted plot point. I understood why Doc was going to one place or the other and what relation it had to another person. And it, and then I was like, oh, at the same time, you know, the plot becomes clear, but there are so many other things that I grow even more appreciation for than my clarity towards the plot like with yeah. each watch yeah and what i love about what i love is how it's funny it's a film that is so intricately constructed and yet it's designed to seem like it's so haphazard to the point that it's a film that it does feel like you can let go of the plot if you want mm -hmm. and you can that, and that's part of the miracle of its design is it is a film that is so a lot of PTAs, the second half of his his filmography are these films that are so suffused with mood that you could totally just ignore the plot and you still get, you understand everything that the film is trying to convey just simply on a, we're going to get very doc-like here, but just, just on a vibe. Like you can pick <laughs> up, the, you get the film's vibe and you get the sadness and the paranoia and the humor 
and the that that kind of postcard elegy for a lost love and a lost time you can get all that and still feel like the film is just a completely plotless expanse of people in rooms talking mm-hmm. and it's, it still translates and again i think that's it's kind of the miracle of, a, of this film is if you want to be like doc or the nerd hosting this podcast and you want to sit down in your apartment or your bungalow and and connect everyone's names together on the side of a wall and try to put it all together you can and it does make sense and it actually reinforces all of the themes in the film but you don't have to if you don't want to it's also mm-hmm. a film uh you know i think pta kind of famously when he was promoting the release of the film uh he did this uh he did this screening where he just got everybody on a bus to, to, to take everyone to a theater, got them really, really high, and then took no them way. into the theater to watch the premiere of the film. And because I think even he guys like, look, you, you, don't, you don't need the plot. You could just kind of hang on and just ride the wave of this film and you'll get what I'm going for. And there's something so kind of miraculous about that, that this film can be enjoyed on any level. It can be a stoner comedy if you want. It's a breakup movie if you want. Mm-hmm. It's a once upon a time in Hollywood, farewell to an era. Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's all of those things, and you can kind of pick and choose what it gets to be to you. Mm-hmm. And I think that for those of us, the, the the minority of us who are very happily in love with this film, because you know we are a minority, I think that's a big reason for it is it allows itself to be whatever we need it to be. Yeah, and that's 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 one of the billions of reasons why I dig it, and that's why I have to ask you what is this movie to you like is this your is this your good time like stoner comedy movie is this your movie you watch when you want to feel sad about someone is it just a good detective movie for you like what is this to you no it's like the same reason i like under the silver lake it's like just this journey i like going on like this just nonsensical like does it matter what it means does it mean anything like i just like going along for the ride like it, like when I rewatched it back in like the beginning of maybe the midway, midway or beginning of like quarantine lockdown here, um, I got pretty high and I had never been high. <laughs> I'd never been high and watched it before. And yeah, it was just really nice to, to just be like, to just be, what is the, what is the fucking imagery I'm trying to come up with here just me like laying in a stream and just like being washed down like that that's what like watching the movie is like just being sent along this like weird funny it is so fucking funny like this really is I watched the scene today when I finished the movie I watched the scene where let me just say fucking Josh Brolin gives an all-timer performance in this movie. Yes. I think this is like yes. my favorite yes. performance of it this. It is movie. his so best performance. Good. But um I watched the scene today where he um the like final scene between him and Doc when he like knocks down his door and he like eats the fucking like weed. He like stuffs it in his <laughs> mouth. And I and every time I watch it, I'm like, is this really happening? I like still don't know if that scene is real. Like I feel like part of me thinks it's like all in his head. Cause he just eats he eats the roach too. He like eats the blunt <laughs> and he like doesn't die or any, like, I don't even know what, whatever's happening in that scene. I don't know, but Josh Brolin is really, he's so dedicated. <laughs> like, well, Brianna, 
You've given me three <laughs> three different springboards that I'm going to do a triple dive off of, if you will. I'm getting real pretentious now, but that's what we're going to do. So this scene, I, I know this has nothing to do with our current scene. Well, maybe it kind of does. We're going to start at the top there. I agree with you. I believe, I truly believe, and I, I know he's been in more serious films. I know we all love No Country for Old Men. I got to say, and hey, he's good in W. He's actually very good in that film. Uh, I don't think Josh Brolin has ever given a more fearless or nuanced or committed performance or inquisitive because the film, his, his performance really is like an interrogation, a complete interrogation of that kind of John Wayne Americana machismo and an yeah. excoriation of it. I mean, the man mm -hmm. is literally blowing bananas. And yes, there is something about it, though, that, that what's amazing is he kind of does. I always compare it to this is going to be this is going to be a weird comparison, but it's, a, it's another beach movie. So it works. Mm -hmm. I compare his performance to Patrick Swayze in Point Break. I've never seen that movie. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know. Jesus I know. Christ. No. Um, well, when this is over, me and you are going to go watch that real quick. It's a mm. really good one. You said you wanted to watch a movie tonight. I promise you, this is going to be, this is this, you're going to want to watch this. So it's a ridiculous film. It's a great film, but it is an absolutely ridiculous film point break. Right. But what makes it work is Swayze's playing this very kind of zonked out beach bum, adrenaline junkie bank robber. And it's, a, it's, it's such an over-the-top character, but what makes that character work, what makes that character indelible, and what makes the film work, and the film would not work otherwise, is that Swayze believes it so much. He believes in the character, and he is playing it as if he is playing uh, a, a Shakespearean character for the Royal Theater. He gives it everything he has. And I connect that to Brolin's performance in this film, and that Brolin knows that this is ridiculous. He knows it's over the top, but he is giving it everything. He is not slouching into this movie like, oh, it's a stoner comedy. I'm going to goof my way through this and I'll get a paycheck. He gives such an incredibly explosive emotional performance. I really do believe it is the best thing he's ever done. And it absolutely floors me every time. There's no one funnier in the film. <laughs> no. There's no one funnier. <laughs> but there's also, there's no one sadder in the movie. Like, oh, even, yeah. Got, even when you've got characters like, like uh, 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 Shasta and Doc, and there's such harrowing, dark emotions between those two people. Or you have Hope and Coy, these two sad junkies mm. who just trying to find a way to make their poor family work. What I find to be saddest is this 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 man who's coming unglued because he's he's no longer in the in the in the. Not that I want things to be in the 50s, but I understand his need to want to be back in the 50s where life made sense. Life no longer makes sense to him. And he's mm. totally come he's, and he's lost the partner that he loved and perhaps right. the man that he loved. And yeah. all he's left with now are his bananas. That's all he's, it's like, and there's something so funny about that, but so depressing as well. And that's, that's the first dive I'm going to take. Okay. So I told you there was three. All right. The second is, the second is, I, you mentioned, you know, the, the insanity of him swallowing that plate load of pot. Oh. Like, not only, like, that is quite a divergence from what occurs in the book. Oh. I, I had read the book first. I'd read the book mm -hmm. before I'd seen the film. Mm -hmm. And so, 
like that that level of madness that to me so that scene doesn't that seem really kind of sum up the film in a way like yeah in that it's it's hilarious when they're both syncing up and saying the same things at the same time you're sorry yeah. what what and, but there, but it's it's also about this weird bond between them, this bond of these two men for whom both time has passed them both by, and so it's got a, it's got a sense of tragedy, it's got a sense of comedy, and a sense of paranoia, and then finally with that tilt of the plate, it just slides into all out lunacy, which it just it's so fitting to the film, and that was a that was a Brolin ad lib that PTA kept in the film. That what was, was not scripted uh, throughout oh the film. My God. Throughout the filming of Inherent Vice, apparently on the page, Bigfoot was far more black and white and basically just a cop foil to make Doc's life difficult. Huh. And Brolin, you know, he's like, I wanted to fight for my character. And so I wanted to put a lot more color back in. So anytime wow. I could get weird, I would get weird. The man ate 34 <gasps> bananas in a day. On, like, that, really? That, that should be able to kill a horse. Oh my God. Oh. But anyway, that final scene, he decided, I'm going to eat a plate. I'm, I'm he asked Paul, he's like, do you mind if I just eat this whole thing? And because he wanted to go out with a bang. And that, what's weird, what's amazing about that is where else are you going to find a film where a broken down buzz cut cop engorging himself, choking himself on a plate load of pot? Is, where else are you going to find a film where that's the emotional crescendo of your movie? Because that actually is the big emotional final beat. Yeah. And, that, and the, the, the fact that he's always eating his feelings, whether it's bananas, whether it's pancakes, whether the it's... The Moto Penakeko! I was going to say that's another really funny line. I was... <laughs> I laughed earlier, just like out of the blue, and I was thinking about Moto Penakeko. <laughs> I gotta say, I think my favorite part of this episode, and it's not... We're, we're not even half done yet... It's gonna be the the glee with which you just screamed Moto Panakeku on the show. <laughs> That's another just there's so many, not to diverge even further, but there's so many just little lines like that that he delivers so convincingly and so but also so like unintentionally hilariously like the conviction when he says moto penikeko that's exactly he's so mean too he's so like rude to the guy like and the guy is like yeah yeah i know like he comes in there and he does this all the fucking time (laughs) (laughs) like you know it (laughs) i love when he like in that final beat of that scene when he screams moto penikeko and the guy's like i'm coming i'm coming i know he's like oh my god bigfoot comes into this restaurant harasses this guy all the time and he's like i know i know i know like <laughs> that little... com- because he keeps coming back though because these pancakes they might not be as good as good as his mother's but he wants he wants that respect he likes he, the respect, he likes the respect. <laughs> because as we know there's no more cielo drive for big there's no cielo drive for bigfoot mm-hmm. no tv movie rights for bigfoot oh my god his acting is also such another like great little touch like when he pops up for the first time um in that ad for the the channel view real estate or whatever it's called and he's he's in he's in the um he's in the wig and like i think he's got sunglasses on he's like dressed as a hippie (laughs) like well we are so far afield of 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 sort of i know i know i know oh my god we'll come back we'll come back but i think that that's a really i think that's a really fascinating part of his character is that he's always just des- like clearly Bigfoot's desperate for fame. He's desperate yes. for any kind of 
validation that, yeah. he, that he's obviously not getting with the LAPD. He said as much, like in the Pentecaco scene when he says, you know, you'd think that, uh, you'd think I get a lot of, you know, I'm a big deal around robbery homicide. You, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be, uh, you know, you'd be forgiven for thinking that because, because he's clearly not because there is no seal of drive for him. So he's looking for any kind of validation he can get. But what I think is very interesting about Bigfoot is how there does seem to be a part of him that recognizes that he is only a supporting character in this much larger tale that he, I think part of Bigfoot's sadness and part of Bigfoot's tragedies, he realizes he's not the hero of this mm. story. And what's, and we all know who the hero is. It's a guy named uh, doc who, you know, he, like the trailer says, he, he may not be a do-gooder, but he does good. Mm. And I think it's interesting. It's interesting to me how the very first time we see Bigfoot, he's dressed the way he views some, the way he views Doc to be. He's mm. dressed like what he thinks Doc is. And the last time we see him, the film is bookended with that. And then the last time we see him being him swallowing a plateful of the thing that he thinks makes Doc Doc. Mm. And yeah. I hear, I hear, I hear you going stoner deep right now. Mm. <laughs> mm. But I, I do think it's interesting that the. The, the hello and the farewell to this character are him trying to absorb the, the superficial things that he thinks makes Doc, Doc. Right. I think that's, that's just another nuance to this character that is so amazing. And which, which I was, goes back to what I was saying earlier that's amazing about this film is if you want to view it from that pretty pretentious vantage, you can and you get something out of it. But if you just want to look at it and laugh because he's this walking human flat-footed cartoon you know, is it far out, man? Peace, groovy. And see him say those things and sound like such a fool. You can just enjoy it on a purely comic, insanely zany, almost like a, a naked gun level and enjoy it on that level. And that's what makes this movie so fucking special is that it works on literally any level of the ladder you want to climb with it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now, finally, the third thing, because I told you there were three. Oh my God, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm I'm coming in hot today. All right, I'm, I'm, all a, right. I'm I'm a train today. I'm just okay. a, a font of Bigfoot. Stuff. Well, you said the other thing that you thought was so wild is when it was happening. You're like, I don't even know if this is really happening. Yeah, and it's hard to remember a a film where, in recent memory, every single scene is like that. Every single scene in this movie to me is suspect. Like, I think you could make an argument for almost every scene in this movie being like, is this really happening? Mm -hmm. The sex yeah. scene that your parents loved so no. much. No, that, that, that was they, just me hating they, it. They, <laughs> they, the sex scene that your parents loved so much. You could have said to them, guys, don't you think it's kind of weird? Do you think maybe this is even really not happening? Uh, or... <laughs> the squeaks! I hate them! God, you know, I said I wish I was a fly on the wall for that first date, but I think I'd trade it to watch your folks watch that scene with you in the room. Like, you're, I, could just, I could just see everyone's knuckles going white, gripping whatever, whatever seat they're in, was watching that. Who would watch this with their family, Brianna? Who? Please, please, I don't need to hear any more shame from Sorry. you. <laughs> I, I, I don't mean to make you revisit that family trauma. I apologize. Okay. But good. that's part of what Inherent Vice is. It's about investigating mm -hmm. trauma and going back to the past. And, but as I said, there's something about that final scene. I think it's really happening, but I think it's, it's indicative of the whole film where you can point it and go, yeah, I don't really know. If, if, I don't know what the fuck this is. I, this, this isn't there's a chance that this is entirely happening in Doc's head right now. And he's just looking at the wall. And 
I do think that what's interesting about that is that that ties in so much to today's episode, which is sort of leash. And if there is, I think if there is anything about this film that is most debated as being real versus unreal, it's this character and whether or not she actually exists in some or any fashion whatsoever. And did, is that something you picked up on at all when you first started watching? Or is that something that kind of grew with time that you'd be like, oh, she just blinks out of the car here, out of nowhere? No, I, that, see, that's, I'm dumb. So that's something I didn't even like, <laughs> I didn't even process that the it's first time true. I watched it. I mean, I had my mind going in like 10 different directions the first time I watched it. But like, I definitely did not think she wasn't real. And then I feel like probably the second time, I can't remember, eventually I like, read something about it i forget i was googling something about the movie like you know in whatever way in whatever avenue i was taking and googling it and i came across like some article that was like oh yeah like sortilage is probably not real and i was like what but like <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait 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 what were you like again what no way oh. <laughs> and i was like oh shit like Oh, that makes so much sense. But I think like by the second time, the second time I know I picked up on when she disappears in the car in that one scene. And I don't even remember it. I When I watched it the past two nights, I was kind of like in and out because I had just recently watched it, but I wanted to prepare for the podcast. Which I, I appreciate. Super up to date. So I, I just kind of had it. <laughs> I had it like going on while I was like doing other stuff. So I probably missed it. But yeah, the second time... Well, are you I really are you really preparing if you're doing other stuff and you're not All sitting right. in rapt attention? I have seen this. All right, I haven't seen it as many times as you, but I still think five times is like a lot. I'm pretty well versed. That's that's yeah, that's a healthy number of notches in your belt for this movie. I think. I think since most people give up about half hour in, I, I'd say that's oh pretty good. That's pretty good. Well, what's interesting about about the about her character is. And I don't know how deep you got into the book. She is obviously in the book, but she is totally different in the book. She's a much, she's in the, she's in the book, but she's not the narrator. She's not the narrator. There is no narrator. It's just a third person omniscient narrative. There is no narration in the book. And in the book, she's just a buddy of Doc's. She's Hmm. a hippie gal. She's dating a Vietnam vet who is uh, traumatized and he's just wanting to work on his motorcycle in their front lawn and doesn't want to be bothered. She's really obsessed with LSD and lost continents and sunken kingdoms and lost civilizations. But aside from the fact that she used to be Doc's uh, secretary and assistant Hmm. at his uh, detective agency, that's she basically just pops in now and again just to say, hi, Doc, how are you? And is a very, very minor player overall. And what the reason why, at least in the beginning, at least in the beginning, the reason why there's narration in this film at all is that PTA simply didn't want to lose those long chains of pinch on ease, those, those long, as you said, you know, those very pretty lines of dialogue, even if they didn't take you anywhere. But there were these, these lines of narration that were just so well written. And Anderson was like, oh, how do I, how do I make, a Pinchon movie that doesn't have this kind of lyrical, incisive language in it, yeah. and so he he created a he created a narrator figure using and glomming Sordelisha's character onto her onto that to yeah. allow her to give us these amazing lines, and 
uh, I, she was just as surprised, Joanna Newsom, as the rest of us nerds, the rest of us inherent vice book nerds, uh, when the movie came, uh, when the, it, the, the, she was made a character because apparently PTA had just asked her to narrate and had sent her all of the narration via email. And she had no idea she was even going to be in the movie until one day she got a call from costuming telling her that she had to come in to get measured. Oh, wow. And she went in and then just, and they were like, yeah, you're, you're sort of leash. Like she's, she's in the movie. Like Paul never actually told her that she was going to be in the movie. She just Paul. assumed she was going to record narration. We're going to call him Paul. We're going to put, well, like he's our buddy. Paul, you know, asshole. you know, Paul, our pal Paul, <laughs> our cool buddy, Paul. Now, and what's, and what's also interesting, and I think, I don't think it should affect the way we view her character, but apparently Joanna Newsom is someone who she believes Sword of Liege is, is very real. She said from a performance standpoint, hmm. it wouldn't have been useful for her to think of herself as a figment, and that Sword of Liege is very real in her mind, and also the script the script did not have any of the strangeness in terms of sort of liege in it that the film has. That was all done in, you know, if you think about it, most of the weirdness of sort of liege comes from the edits. Like she'll be in, there's two different moments where she's in the car with Doc, either on the way to Channel View Estates or for our scene today where she's uh, riding with him to the Chris Kylanone Institute where mm -hmm. they're talking and there's just a cut and she's gone. And that's, right. that's just in the edit. It was never in the script. No one who was making this movie had any idea that that hmm. was going on. And I'll be honest, you say you're dumb. I don't think you are. I've read your stuff. You're not dumb. I didn't even notice it really as a, as a, as a potential uh, uh, fake character moment. Uh, the first time I watched it, I, I literally just thought uh, PTA was being pretentious. And just being like, well, oh, he's just doing jump cuts. He's just showing off. He's he's seen French New Wave movies and he's rubbing it in our faces that he can <laughs> that he can do a jump cut and lose a character. It wasn't until like two or three or even four times in where I finally started to ask myself, is is this even happening? Is this does this exist? Mm -hmm. and, and 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 the other thing that is so so strange though, when you really get in the weeds with this movie, and I don't know if you've gotten there yet. Brianna, and we're going to get you there if you haven't. Okay. I'm going to make sure you watch this at least another five times this summer. Okay. Do you ever notice that no one ever really interacts with Sword of Liege whatsoever? Yes. Like, nope. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That let's, was like... let's dig into that before we go to this scene. <laughs> Let, let's, yeah. let's get the weeds with me here. Okay. What do you, what do you got? Like, you, you've noticed this, right? Oh, yeah. No, no. The, while you were talking about her there, I was like, that was the one of the main things I was, like, thinking about is, like, yeah, she, like, doesn't interact with anyone. Like, especially that scene I think about, um, it's a very, like, intimate scene of her with, like, Doc and Shasta, where it's the memory of them with the Ouija board. And she still, like, doesn't really interact with them at all. She's just kind of there. Like, she's very close to them physically. Um, but it, it's like she's not there and I mean and of course you could also like the argument could be they're both like like you know they're they're in their own little world they want to get weed like so bad and they're you know barely noticing her I guess because they just want to score but you know at the same time it's also like like it could go either way but she doesn't interact with them at all really I think and that's well she interacts with Doc, and that's what's weird, though. It's like there's no acknowledgement 
between her and Shasta of one another. Yeah. And 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 it, but to to that end, it's almost got that 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 Fight Club thing where when Doc's when he when he whips out the Ouija board and he's like, "Do you think it'll tell us where we could score?" And Shasta's like, "Give it a try," you know. Or excuse me, Sorley says, "You know, try it." What the, it's played so that everything that he says to her in reality could be said to he you could yeah. read him saying it to Shasta and that's why Shasta's not freaked out that he's talking to someone else because it, yes. that question could have been asked of her and, 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 and yeah, a, sorry sorry <laughs> Brianna damn it I'm very sorry I know no go ahead what were you saying <laughs> I know I was just gonna say that's why it feels like neither of them are really interacting with her because I feel like I feel like every time he interacts with Sortilage, quote unquote, it, it could be interpreted as him just interacting with uh, Shasta, I think. Exactly. Or it gets more complicated, though, when they do speak to one another. But even then, yeah. it, even when there's other people, let's, let's say like when they're in the, uh, the opening sequence of the film, the long, that big kind of 15, 17 minute stretch of sequences tied together, uh, well, it's not, it's not quite that long, but it feels that way. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's, so, it's just such a prolonged prologue. That scene where they're together in Pipeline Pizza, mm -hmm. and Dennis is there, and they've got some other buddies there. And right. it's, it's, it's weird to watch. Everybody in the room is talking with one another, and then Doc is just kind of in the corner with mm -hmm. this, this, this woman that no one else seems to be acknowledging. Yeah. And I, I wonder if, like, in that moment, is Doc being, like, that weird friend that we all have that's just kind of sitting there depressed and stoned over a girl, and he's just imagining this conversation, and no one else in Pipeline Pizza really even seems to acknowledge either one of them in that moment. Yes. And it, it becomes all about them and all about this little conversation. And then another beat that I don't think gets as much attention is towards the end of the film, I've talked on this show a lot about how one of my favorite scenes, because it gets me all emotional, is when Doc is kind of teary-eyed and he's holding his postcard from Shasta and she's asking him, you know, what do you, when this is all said and done, what's going to stick with you? Like, what's going to keep you up at night? Mm -hmm. And he says, little kid blues and about how Koi and his daughter being separated, uh, Koi and Amethyst being separated, that really hurts his heart. And so sort of Leash says, go get him. But if you if you pay a lot of attention, someone in Doc's house is like in his kitchen, right behind them, just slamming shit around, like putting moving plates around, like they're doing dishes. And it's it's so bizarre to me. If you go back and watch that scene, it's like I and I I haven't been able to tell because it's out of focus. It's hard to see if it's like because it's right after uh, the sex scene, I believe. So it's hard to tell if it's like so, if it's Shasta who's moved back in with him, or if it's like Dennis just looking for a bowl. But there's just someone crashing around the kitchen behind them with no acknowledgement whatsoever that this incredibly emotional, incredibly deep conversation is going on. And that just, mm. there's something, I don't know, there's, there's, again, it's, it's, there's a kind of magic to this film. It's just, it's, right. it's this delicate magic. And I know I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting pretentious with you here. You, you yeah. got to forgive me. Well, you're, 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 you're keeping me, you're keeping me, you're keeping me from getting too pretentious. You're keeping me balanced. I think. Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're keeping me balanced with your what? What? No way. Anyway. <laughs> oh my God. All right. I think it's time for me and you to watch this scene and then 
We're going to talk about it. But more importantly, we're going to get out there and I'm leaving it to you. Oh, God. I'm going to make my case. Oh, no. I'm going I'm to make a case. I'm going to make a case. But in the end, I told you this almost a year ago when I asked you to be on this show. I told you that I was going to let you make the call for this show as to the nature of Sorlege's existence. Oh, so whatever it is that you think it is, that's going to be the show's official position. Unless I oh, really think it's a, yeah. unless I really think it's a shitty idea. Oh and then, God. And then we're going to, we're going to downshift to what I think, but yeah, okay. so no pressure, no pressure, but this okay. is a pretty big deal. And who would have thought, who would have thought however long ago, when you were stumbling out of a theater, unsure what to think of this movie, that sometime later you would be bestowed such an honor. You would be bestowed wow. this incredible honor to decide for the rest of us if Sword Leash is real. You've really made it. You've made it. Jeez, this is it. It's all downhill from here. So the next time you chat with your folks, okay. and you guys, you, you can say, you know, guys, you know how you were mad that one time I made you watch that movie, Parent Advice? It paid off. It paid off, Mom and Dad. I've made it. I'm here now. Can I actually really quick tell you that before I was on this, I was out with my parents. I was on a social distance walk with my parents, and I was like, I can't be on this walk too long. I'm going to be recording a podcast later. They're like, what's the podcast? I explained to them what it was. It's about this movie, Inherent Vice. I showed it to you guys. And then they took them in and they were like, what's that movie? And then as soon as my mom remembered, she went, oh God, that movie. (laughs) Like such disdain. My dad was more like, oh yeah, like we didn't like it. But my mom was like, ugh, (laughs) it was so funny. Mrs. Ziegler, come on. You know what, can we get get your folks on the show? No. (laughs) No, for real? Oh, I think that'd be a good episode. They're busy taking my taking care of our parrot they got shit to do they got parrot shit to do (laughs) you're saying that's more important than my show i think that'd be a great episode i bet i could convince them i could turn them around (laughs) you could maybe convince my dad i feel like he would maybe be into it but not my mom oh man that's a drag sorry (laughs) all right let's watch this damn scene and we're gonna come back talk about sore leash okay he's coming to where to a place up in Ojai called Griskylodon. Griskylodon? Animal tooth. Mm, ancient Indian word, sort of leash. Green serenity. I minored in the classics. It's not Indian, it's ancient Greek. It means animal tooth made out of gold. You're doing good, Doc. Thanks, Liz. Animal tooth made out of gold. So before we jump into this, uh, I have to say, you are maybe, you are the 30th, actually 31st, because we had two people on one episode uh, in a prior, prior episode. You are the 31st person to come on Increment Advice. And I have to say, you are the most inherent vice-like person. Oh. Like, I feel like you could have easily walked out of the film and onto the show. Wow. And, <laughs> and I'm going to take your silence uh, for what you said uh, in, in, during this, in between uh, bits here as we were watching the scene. 
and you said you you don't know how to talk like you you, no. you don't know how to talk this is correct <laughs> i don't <laughs> my my talking is just like me trying to be funny and then laughing at my own joke for like a few seconds <laughs> that's just how i talk i guess <laughs> this there really, it is again I, Oh my gosh. I really, I really do feel like I am talking to a character that has walked out of this film. Thank you. It's just, you've stumbled, you've stumbled out of the movie and I'm Thank talking you to you about your world. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a compliment. compliment. I, I think you should. I think you should. So this scene, this to me is, this is where Sorlish gets so complicated for me. and so I just want to say, I love whatever their relationship. I find this to be an incredibly touching beat. The way, mm. you know, he Doc, I think Doc thinks he's pretty slick in this scene in his ridiculous disguise. It is not a disguise at all. It's just he, he wears a shirt with a, with a more serene, more subdued collar than normal. Mm. And, you know, we're rolling to Criscylodone. Uh, Bigfoot has just given him, you know, we've just found out that Rudy Blatnoid's got two, uh, fang punctures in his neck and uh the only lead he has left because what another thing i love about doc is he has no idea what's going on he might have a little bit more of an idea than bigfoot but he has no idea what's going on so he's just bouncing at whatever place he has information on and the fact that japonica fenway you know in the previous scene said that she was holed up at uh chris Kyladone, and he knows that Mickey Wolfman put money in there. He's just throwing a dart at the board and hoping this is going to work out. Mm-hmm. And I love the way, you know, when he 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 believes that Sloan Wolfman's lie that that uh, Chris Kyler means ancient Indian word meaning serenity, and the way Sorlees just goes, no, 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 that's it's it's an animal tooth made out of gold. It's it's Greek. And how embarrassed he gets. And that little pat on his arm, like, you're doing good, Doc. And he has that yeah. little smile, says, thanks, Leash. Doesn't that warm your heart? Yeah. Yeah, Doesn't I really just... liked, yeah. So good. <laughs> you sound so happy. Like, I'm so, like, I, yeah, I can like, hear you smiling as you were saying it. Like, the warmth of that. Because I rewatched it multiple times last night because um, I was, like, taking little notes. And, I mean, the notes aren't even, like, that good or anything. But, well, like, let's I, hear it. We got to re- hear them. No, nah, I just wrote like I was really high. I wrote Chris Skylodon, <laughs> comma, animal tooth made out of gold. Then my next point is the golden fang. That's it. And then my next point is minored in the classics, because that's what oh. she says. And then my last point is you're doing good, Doc. And I I rewound it like three times to to write all that for some reason. I don't remember, but each time the you're doing good doc really gets me. Like, <laughs> I like just the- emotionally. I like that your notes are just the direct quotes from the movie. Like, that's yes. the note. It's just the quote of the... the I don't <laughs> know why I did this. <laughs> I didn't really get any more out of it, but I feel like I really wanted to write... Well, it's a, in, in your defense, this is a very, very quick and dirty basic scene. Like, there's not, yeah. like, a lot of, like, labyrinthian plotting. There's not a lot of, well, do you think that Bigfoot knows this? Do you think he's trying to aim him at Adrian Prussia? Do you mm-hmm. think this do you, is, 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 is Shasta real? Is this real? Like, this is a basic, and that's the reason why we're doing something a bit different here, which is just using this episode as a larger magnifying glass to look at Sorlige. Mm-hmm. Now, 
I'm going to ask you. I don't want to know what it is yet. But mm. Do you have an opinion? Because you got to have an opinion. Do you have an opinion on the nature of Sorlege's existence? Oh, yes, 100%. I have my okay. 100% crystal clear, solid opinion of her. <laughs> now, do you, do, you come, do you come with receipts? Do you have things you can point to and go, this, this yeah. right here, this oh, is yeah. why she's this? Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Well, I'm, we're not going to go there yet. Okay. We're not going to go there yet, damn it. Now, okay. this is what, what's kind of interesting to me about this film is I, with a few exceptions, you know, I, I, I feel like I have a pretty, because I've watched it so many damn times, even before doing the show, just because I was obsessed with this film. I've seen it so many times, and usually each viewing of this film crystallizes what I and, and concretizes what I was already feeling about it. It just the more I watch it, the more I go, "Yep, yep, I, I this is how I feel about the nature of sadness in the past, or love, or uh, paranoia, or sex, or whatever." Any, any particular theme of the movie, the more I watch the mo- the more I watch it, the more it just kind of enriches, but but deepens my conviction of what I think any particular part of it is. The one part where that's been different is as I've watched it throughout the years, my belief as to what Sortilege is constantly is changing and Rubik's cubing and shifting. Mm-hmm. Like it's the one part of this movie that I never have my arms around to the point that this morning I woke up this morning prepared to make an argument to you. Oh. about what I thought Sordelige was. And I have since then, over lunch, oh. changed my mind oh. as, as to what she is. So this is the kind of thrill a minute roller coaster you are on right now. Jesus Christ, dude, slow down. I know, I know, I know. I, I, I don't want to freak you out. I, okay. I, I don't, don't hallucinate, don't panic. We're okay. I'm going to hold your hand through this. Thank you. I, I used to think, I used to think, that she was Doc's conscience, that she was like his Jiminy Cricket. And that, you know, she's constantly showing up for, it seems like moments of kind of moral righteousness, right? right. Like you notice that, like mm-hmm. whether it's just to show up when they're, um, when you, just the driving to Channel View Estates and she talks about the, the sad history of Bunker Hill in Los Angeles and about, uh, the indigenous Native American population that was displaced for downtown LA or the people living in Chavez Ravine who were kicked out so that we could have Dodger Stadium. There's, she's always kind of speaking with this moral force about, you know, you know the, the wrongs that are surrounding them. Or in the scene coming right after this one when they get to Priscilladone and she's talking about the bullshit Governor Reagan pulled with cutting funding to mental health institutes. Uh, she's always there kind of just to check people and you notice that or I noticed that whenever Doc does anything that's even like a little bit shady whether it's his kind of very kind of rough and dark sex scene with Shasta or even when he does something like killing Adrian Prussia sort of liege and her voice just disappear like his conscience has left him and that was going to be my big argument to you. And I don't, know how that, I don't know how that lands with you, but that was my big argument. And I've changed my mind. I've changed my mind today. All right? And are you ready okay. for this? Are you ready okay. for this? This All is a big right, speech. Go. This is a big let's speech. So I, while, I'm, while I'm pontificating, get your receipts ready because sure. I'm coming for you. 
Whatever, man. <laughs> <laughs> Let's fucking go, dude. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> All right. Locked and loaded, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> no more edibles before an episode ever again. Yeah, Never all right. Uh, okay, so Inherent Vice is, is in so many ways, it's, it's a postcard movie, right? It's a look back. It's Thomas Pinchon looking back over his shoulder at the broken back of, of his own hopeful generation of the 1960s. It's PTA looking back at an era and a culture that has completely cinematically defined his his creative work you know he is a child of the films of the 70s mm-hmm. it's doc looking back at a time that he was happy with shasta it's bigfoot locking longing for vincent and delicato in the law and order of the 1950s hope harlingen remembering her husband refusing to believe he's dead Tariq khalil missing his old neighborhood in artesia make even mickey wolfman looking to make up for his past and his misdeeds therein uh with free hippie housing so wouldn't it kind of makes sense if all of inherent vice is a look over your shoulder a look back from i from both the the standpoint of the creators and the characters doesn't it make sense that it's a it's sort of leash is is looking back to if 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 inherent vice is like she says it's everything we can't insure against i.e inherent vice is time and the damage it does wouldn't it kind of make sense that she's looking back across time itself to to tell this story and i know we're getting pretentious and i i know i know i know but something i've mentioned time uh uh-oh wait 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 so your theory is that she is in the future looking back on these memories with doc hang with me because that's where i am going that is where i'm going because something i've mentioned time and again um on this show is in her autopsy of the late 60s, Joan Didion wrote very famously in, in the White Album, we tell ourselves stories in order to live. And in the context of her essay, Didion was talking about the chaotic crash ending of the 1960s, the Mansonoid terror twilight of the 60s death and the, the birth of the 70s. And she's like, we tell ourselves stories in order to live in that we we try to apply narrative to the chaos of our lives and our eras because if we can make it a narrative if we can make all of this a story it can then make sense we can make sense of this if it's a story and not just an entire generation coming to a to a inexplicable and existential collapse we can understand it if it's a story so we tell ourselves stories in order to live and i i really believe that that idea that we tell ourselves stories in order to live, that that is a thread that binds all of those aforementioned characters to Doc. Because in one way or another, where it's Tariq Khalil, whether it's Shasta Faye, whether it's Hope Harlingen, whether it's Coy Harlingen, whether it's Sancho Smilex, his attorney, whether it's Bigfoot Bjornsson, they're all these people coming to Doc with the broken pieces of their lives. And they're saying, please, tell me a story make sense of this jumble this dead husband this missing real estate big shot this disintegrated neighborhood this lost love tell me a story so that i can live through this and so i give all of that big pretentious rambling preamble to you brianna because how i view sort is this 
The opening scene of this movie, it gazes from Doc's house out at the beach. That opening shot, you know, between the bungalows, the kids are running between it. You see the mm-hmm. ocean. That's the POV of the beach from Doc's pad. Because I've been there. I've walked it. Like, like an insane uh, Jake Gyllenhaal nice. and Zodiac. I've, I've walked it. I've been there door to door. But I think, but then it, it fades from that point of view shot of the ocean to a close-up of Sorta Liege sitting there. And I think, I believe she's sitting there on the beach in Doc's, in Doc's hood. And she's telling all of this after the fact. She's Doc's friend. She's heard this whole tale from him. And Doc, who's never seemed like 100% to be sure of everything that was going on in the story, you know, he's told it to her. And she, he's come to her with this narrative. And it is she who has pieced it together for us. And so she's telling us a story so that we can live, so that we can live with this movie in our hearts to help us along. She's, and she's telling it so that these characters can too. Even I feel like Doc has kind of come to her the way all these other characters have come to him. He's come to her with this jumble. And now she's sitting on the beach after the fact. And she's, she's, she's telling us a story, all of us, the characters and the audience, a story so that we can live. She's giving this a narrative that makes sense. And while I try to avoid being like fan servicey stuff where I, you just people just make shit up, in my imagination, she's telling this story to little Amethyst a couple years down the line uh, about how a guy who wasn't a do-gooder but done good put her mom and dad back together and spared her the little kid blues. So that. That is my theory, is that this is after the fact. And that's and what when we hear her voice, that's her chiming in to go, oh yeah, by the way, Doc didn't really remember that that Ouija board. Or um and the some of the unreliable aspects of it is she's just interjecting herself in the story now and again to make it make sense so that she can have a role in it. And if if you want my opinion, at least right now, tonight, it is that like everybody else she's looking back in the past and she is telling us a story to live in and that's my that's my sort of leash theory for today damn dude what the fuck <laughs> oh my god oh that's so that's, much that's, that's so the... much more thought out than mine <laughs> <laughs> well only one of us is tasked with having to talk about this movie every goddamn week for nearly a year. So that is true. I, that I, is I, your burden. I, I yeah, I, I've stroked <laughs> my chin on this film a time or two, but that yeah, I I, I like the idea. I, that opening shot of her with the the sun kind of haloing her hair in the wind, and she's just she's looking down at someone, like she's bigger mm. than them. And so it's almost, I, I like, I, I, there's a kind of a romanticism, although hopefully she glosses over the sex scene. There's kind of a romanticism of her talking to Amethyst, the little girl whose life Doc pieced back together by saving her parents or saving her father. I, I like the idea that like Sora Liege is like telling her the story so she can live. Like she's, she's making sense of this for her. And hmm. I don't know, I, that's not text, obviously. That's like, that's me connecting some dots that probably aren't there. But there's a... Um, I feel like there's a kind of a, a sweetness that that uh, PTA would approve of if 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 you brought that to him. Goes, yeah, sure, sure. That's yeah, a good yeah, I take it. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, yeah, dude. But hey, don't 
don't forget, I'm the one. I'm the one who's who's making the call here. So you so, who's seen the movie like what 20, 30 times and you've thought this through like oh, so so hard and intricately, but me, this dumbass right here, I'm calling the <laughs> shots. <laughs> well, for, first you off. can go fuck yourself, buddy. <laughs> that's right (laughs) wow the wheels have come (laughs) off well first off let me say 20 or 30 times that's a conservative number that's a conservative really that's conservative yeah oh my god i have a sickness i it this is my go-to late night movie it's it's my sickness this is my go-to late night movie this is like if i'm just if i'm if i'm cleaning up or if i'm playing with my dog or doing whatever sitting on the balcony but i've got the tv on so i can hear it I like something about it. it's just nice. I like yeah. I like hanging. It's gonna sound sad. I like hanging out with these characters. I like having them around. I like hearing them talk. No, for sure. And 100%. if I if I want to sit down and get sucked in, I can. But if I got to do other stuff, you know, whatever. Uh, it's just nice having them in the room, which is mm-hmm. really kind of creepy and sad. But fuck it, you know, it's it's, it's quarantine blues. We, no, we'll we'll no, take no. A, take our pleasures where we can. But you're right. You're right. You're in charge here. Like you're. You're you're the Bigfoot here. You're the cop. You're the decider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I want to hear, now that I've I've poured my heart out to you, I'm handing over the show to you. I'm handing over the show to you. And I want to hear what you think about the nature of Sora Liege. It's not as deep. I just think she's like Dog's inner monologue. <laughs> like that's it. I that's just, that's, that's line. That's I just <laughs> think she's Doc's inner monologue. That is it. <laughs> that's like your it's like your notes from the scene where you just wrote the dialogue down. Inner monologue. That's what it is. Inner monologue. And, I'm and, over here I'm over here holding back tears in my five in yep. my five minute speech. Oh yeah. About uh, about the nature of this character and the daughter of Hope and Coy and hearing the story of how her parents were saved. Nope, inner monologue. It's inner monologue. Boy, I really you... like yours. I really <laughs> like yours. But that, of course, comes about from the fact that you've watched it so many times. You've been thinking about this so many times. And each time I watch it, I do think a little more about who she is. And this is just me having only seen it like four or five times. This is just the natural next step. Hey, I'm just very far no. behind you. <laughs> Don't eat. That's a cheat. Don't cop out. Don't cop out. Nope. It's no, no, we're not going to do that. You're the arbiter. You're the decider. You just, okay. just got to, you got to just make the call. But you did say you do feel like you have receipts. You, you, you say you have reasons. Like, what are your reasons for her not being a real person? Because like, oh, there's two scenes. The one where he's, I think, reading the newspaper. And it's like, as he's reading it, she's like narrating in his head. And at the same time that he realizes like, wait, what the fuck? I forget what it is that he realizes, but he realizes something when he's reading and he goes like, oh shit, like what the fuck? But like in his mind, Sordalige is going, wait, what? Like she's reading along with him. Like she's just his, his thoughts in his head. So that's the one. And then the other scene is when, I think it's after Bigfoot picks him up after Adrian Prussia's thing. I know where you're and going. And she's like, Doper's ESP. Like that's just another part where I feel like that's just that's just him and his thoughts. And then I mean I feel like every every single almost every single interaction they have could just be conflated to not conflated, but but it could just just be interpreted as 
him just thinking to himself, like maybe he's in that scene in the pizza shop or he's just in the corner and his friends are all talking and he's with Sortilage. Like maybe he's just in the corner thinking about how he needs to get a haircut. Cause like, that's what she's saying to him. She's like, change you kind of need to get a life. haircut. Yeah. Like, I feel like he's just sitting there thinking like, damn, dude, my hair is a bit long. Like, maybe I should get a cut. Like, like. <laughs> well, that's again, the genius of PTA knowing that if you just have a character sitting there thinking, you know, maybe I need to cut the hair. That wouldn't yeah. be nearly as dramatically or thematically compelling as having a, an imaginary Jiminy Cricket figure tell him, you know, why don't you give yourself a perm? And then there's the uh, the scene that we're doing, the Chris Gylodon scene, the part where she he's like, oh yeah, it means um, serenity. It's an old Indian word for serenity. And she's like, no, like I studied um, the classics. Uh, and at first, just like a minute ago, I was like, oh, well, how can she be the thoughts in his head if like she studied the classics or like she minored the classics? But then I was like, wait, what if he did that? And he <laughs> forgot it because he's such a big stoner and it's all coming back to him. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like I, I minored in the in the classics when I was in college or like whatever. Like that, that, that occurred to me. So well, you're I mean, right. I mean, there, she does have that. She does have that great line um, earlier in the film where she mentions like you know doc sifted through the garbage dump that was his memory searching mm -hmm. for something and when i have when i have been in my sort of liege is like an imaginary friend or sort of liege is doc she's like well i guess if she's an imaginary friend she would be of doc but that, that, that she is distinctly a a part of his consciousness just just a part of his mind you know i i thought the exact same thing that it's almost like he's driving around pretty confident. Yeah. You know, I, she's animal. It means, uh, you know, ancient Indian word meaning serenity, but then the way that you can, like when you're driving around listening to the, listening to music and all of a sudden you get a great idea about something that has nothing to do with what you're thinking about. Uh, it, it, you know, it's like the fact that he did maybe minor in the classics, you know, for the year or two that he tried college, uh, that, that he would remember, Oh wait, doesn't that, doesn't that mean something else? Oh, that's, that means animal tooth made out of gold. Yeah. Um, and that it just he's so stoned he's so stoned that he perceives it as 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 sort of liege and and we do know that he does to some to some level he he has to be hallucinating and because we we've in the scene that you mentioned earlier when we see bigfoot show up in his very first scene i really don't believe that that commercial could, could could possibly end with Bigfoot leaning forward and saying, what's up, Doc? But that's what we see Doc seeing. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that commercial's real. I just think that Doc is... Well, yeah. But that, 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 yeah. that ending, he adds that tag. Yes. So you, so you and your infinite power, the, the investiture of power that I have given you, that I have bequeathed <laughs> you to make this decision, I, my argument has fallen upon cold deaf authoritative almost totalitarian ears <laughs> and you have heard what i have said and you are looking down on high you're looking down at me and you are saying no that I'm you saying... believe she is she is a part of doc's mind and a part of doc's mind only so there was never a sort of leash as far as the film is concerned because this is totally separate from the book as far as you're concerned there is no sort of leash there is just doc yeah that's what I feel. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not being a dictator about this, sir. I am looking, <laughs> I am saying no to you with the utmost respect and admiration. Please know that. 
I do yeah. think your your three is very good and it's very sound. Right, isn't it sweet too? It's isn't really it good, it's, yeah. It's, it's sweet, little I like little, it. Little Amethyst is sitting there and she's like, "Hey, this is how your parents are still together. This is why they're not worthless junkies. Like, like I this guy saved them. This guy that used to live here, he saved them. He drove off into the fog with this girl named Shasta. That's why he's not here. But this guy that was here, this is this is why you're here. This is why you're safe. This is why you didn't get the little kid blues. But no, you're just no." You just you just blew your nose into that idea and threw it away in the trash. Yeah, that's definitely what I did. That's what you did. That's <laughs> what you did. But I do I will say I do like your idea of her being I like I kind of like I do get a kick out of the idea of a detective imagining his own narrator. You know, because so many film noir films noir, so many detective movies always have this narrator. They always have this hard boiled voice. And it's the voice of the detective the detective telling his own tale and it's always you know it's always a badass hard ass really hard-boiled dialogue i love that the idea that doc would give himself his own narration but that in his in his mind it would be his it would be his stoner surfer hippie gal friend that would do it like yeah. there's there's it's 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 not a hard-boiled noir it's a soft-boiled noir and it's yeah i like that I'll, we'll run with that and there's something just so doc about that 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 he wouldn't he wouldn't even be his own narrator. He'd have he'd have yeah. he'd have some hippie come do it for him and it tell his sense. story, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, but I'm not changing your mind, am I? No, you're not. God, you you're a cold one. You're a cold. I one. love and respect your thoughts and opinions, but I'm sticking to my guns here. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! Well, you you know I I can't argue with notes like that. Direct quotes from the film. I can't argue with that. I can't argue with that. You're coming at me with text only. I can't argue with the text. I can't. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! I, I I I my mind is reeling. Just as much as Sort of Liege is like a figment of of Doc's imagination, right? Uh, or well, I guess I yeah he she is because you've made the call. I have to. That's the official position of the show now. I have to take that. Take Just it. as much as she is a figment of his imagination, I feel like I'm talking to my own sword leash right now. Like I feel like you have stepped out of the movie, and are just correcting me on all of this, like a character <laughs> from the film. So you changed me today. You changed me. Today. Oh wow! I feel like we've gone through a lot, you and I. I contain multitudes. You do, I suppose. Well, except for except for a single viewing of Point Break. Jesus. Sorry, dude. Sorry, I haven't seen every single movie in the world. I've only been on this planet for twenty five years, man. Jesus Christ. Well, <laughs> you know what? You said you're watching a movie tonight. Like, I I really think Point Break is the one. It's a good beach movie. You need a. It's a good late night beach movie. Please I'm, trust me. Trust I'm me. I'm not gonna watch it, but I will put. I will I will bump this suggestion of Point Break up a few films in my very long list of movies that I still need to watch, but it gets a few bumps up. So that's something. <sighs> well, that's, <laughs> I guess that's my one victory tonight since I've lost I've lost the uh, I lost the war with Sort of Liege, but I'll, I'll take the battle. I'll take the battle with Point Break, I guess. Brianna, thank you so much for coming on tonight. And for and for laughing your way through my pretentious warbling. <laughs> Thank you for allowing me to try and talk and laugh and make jokes through most of it. <laughs> and yes, this thing that I have taken so seriously, you just laughed at it and you've mocked it and here and I'm 
you're gonna I'm, I'm gonna walk away with uh, with tears running down my face but that's that's I, you know what I'm gonna you know what I'm feeling like right now what I feel like the guy with his regal cinema gift card I'm just walking away and oh come on <laughs> I went there uh, see, just like Bigfoot, we're bookending it. We're bookending it. I like him. I'm just going to walk away into the sea with my, my unused regal gift card of an idea. Rejected, unscanned, unswiped, unwatched. And that's where we're going to end things tonight. It's sad. That's really sad. But I guess it's appropriate. But before we go, before we go, please tell everyone listening where they can find you and your stuff. You can find me and my many terrible opinions on Twitter at Brianna Ziggs um, and the various other places that I write at, which Travis already indicated at the very start of this podcast. So I hope you are all listening. You know how I know you're high? You sound like you're about <laughs> ready to break up laughing at, at, at telling, telling us your Twitter handle and where you write for. Like you sound yes. like you're about to start burst out laughing. That is correct, sir. <laughs> <laughs> the wheels have indeed come off here. All right. Well, on that note, let me say again, Brianna, thank you so much for laughing your way through this with me. Thank you. And again, I have to say, I've never given anyone this power. Thank you for making the, for stating the official position of Increment Vice. Sorlige is apparently a figment of Doc's imagination. That's it. We we're running that flag up the flagpole. That's what it is now. Thank Although, you very much for Although, allowing me to do that. Oh. <laughs> You're laughing at that. I am laughing at that because it's funny. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. I'll stop now. Uh, I'll stop. Uh, uh, Brianna's going to get hit with some Thorazine here in a minute. I'm going to wipe uh, wind the show down. I want to say thank you again for coming on. This has been a blast. I really enjoyed talking to you about this movie. I've really been looking forward to this. Great. I'm sorry I made you wait almost a year for it. Uh, I, I appreciate, wasn't it worth it? Wasn't it worth it? It was very it? worth it, yes. Look at this power that you amassed in that I know, right? The waiting. And so thank you for coming on. Thanks everybody for listening. And everyone, just please join me next time where myself and a very special guest are going to pay attention to that man with the swastika tattoo on his face. Well, giggle fits aside, Brianna has made it clear. Sordelige isn't real. Just a spark in old Doc's eye. A Jiminy Cricket on his shoulder. A figment of his addled imagination. Wait a minute. Does that apply to all spectral voice narrators? So am I like, Travis? Is Travis me? Weird. So, right, okay, I guess I'll talk to you next week, whatever I am, and we'll see what we can see next time on Increment Vice. <laughs>